it's Chris, the Supply Chain Doctor and host of Supply Chain is Boring. Over the years, I've interviewed some of the brightest minds and successful leaders in the world of supply chain management. In May 2020, I sat down with Ken Ackerman to learn more about him and collect a little supply chain management history. After our discussion, Ken told me about a similar interview he had with Dr. James Stock many years prior and the related work Dr. Stock was doing. In November 2020, I was able to catch up with Dr. James Stock to learn about his work. As an academic in the field of transportation, logistics, and now what we call supply chain management, Jim was well-connected to many of the original academic thought leaders in this space. Jim did interviews with many of these original thought leaders and shared them with me. The list includes Ken Ackerman, Don Bowersox, James Haskett, Bud Lalonde, John Langley Jr., Tom Menser, Tom Spee, and Daniel Wren. To carry on the great work started by Dr. Jim Stock, I'm dusting off these interviews and bringing them to you on Supply Chain is Boring. Uh, what was the most difficult aspect of being in the military? It was a piece of cake. I, I, I didn't want to be there, but once I got there, I had a wonderful time. My Culver training got me through basic training really easily because I knew pretty much what to expect. So uh, basic training, uh, I say it wasn't fun, but uh, there weren't any great surprises. And the assignment was a very great and very pleasant surprise. I could have gone to Korea or one of these garden spots in the Far East. Well, thankfully, if you were still involved in uh, running, it made the basic training much easier physically. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing is I was in there at, I guess, age 23 with a bunch of teenagers uh, who were, you know, five years younger than me, and and because of that, possibly in better shape. But I was a trainee platoon leader, a job I got because I demonstrated that I knew the drill, and I figured, you know, I can't drop out. I'm up at the head of the line. I got to set the example. <laughs> so I was probably in better physical shape when I got out of basic training than I had ever been before or will ever be again. Do you think the Culver uh, experience helped you in the oh, military? No question it did. Sure. Prepared you for the regimen and Absolutely. those things. Yeah. Now, do you consider your duty as having a positive or negative or neutral impact on your profession? Very positive. Because I think that the military experience, which so few young people today get, is a laboratory for leadership and you learn a great deal about leading people and getting people to follow you and, and uh, communicating with them. I think the military is one of the greatest preparations for leadership that there is. Very good. So in terms of once you finished your military uh, two years at Walter Reed, you went back to work for your father? Yes. Uh, how long did you stay there before sort of branching out and expanding? Well, I, I was, as I think I said before, I was sort of reluctant to go into a family business. Uh, when I went to Harvard Business School and went through the interview process and they said, why do you want to be here? I said, I want to be here so I have some options and not be sort of trapped into going into a family business because I can't do anything else. So I went into it hesitantly. Uh, I told my father that I 
absolutely would not be junior sitting in the next office. I had, in Chicago, seen the head guy come out and say, where's Junior? It was literally called him that. I said, I don't want to be that way. So uh, my father said, well, we're opening in Columbus, and that's 90 miles away. Isn't that far enough away so I can't yell at you? <laughs> so I came down here, and because I was 90 miles away, very quickly uh, felt fairly independent. How long did your father stay in the business after you started after military? I've got to think about that. Uh, I started in the business in 1957, and my father retired about 20 years after that, a little less than 20 years after that. Um, but he approached retirement uh, maybe 12 years after that. Uh, we lost my mother in 69. My father remarried a couple of years later to a lady who really wanted him to move to Florida and get away from the business. So he started backing away uh, when he was much younger than he would have needed to because that's what he wanted to do. Okay. And so that business sort of formed the basis for what you did for so many years before it was yes. acquired by Excel. Yes. Okay, very good. Um, why did you stay in the profession for so long without changing? You, know, you the uh, the company that your father had started and that you took over um, essentially was yours until bought out by Excel. Not really, not not exactly. The timeline isn't quite like that. Okay. Uh, in the mid seventies. Uh, you know, less than tw less than 20 years into it, I came up with an idea that I did not want to work in in corporate America until retirement. And the dream I had was to get out of the business before my 50th birthday and get out of corporate life before my 50th birthday and either get into teaching or consulting. I had decided that one of those two was something I wanted to do. And, and uh, we had an outside board in my mid-70s, I should say, in the mid-70s, you know, time frame 75, 76, I started talking to our board members and to my dad and to a few other people who I was close to and said, I want to get out of this, I want to change careers. Uh, one of our outside board members came to me and said, I've got an idea that you never thought of, and that is to sell all the real estate and liquidate the company, which we did in 1980. Uh, the acquisition by XL happened several years later than that. But I joined the consulting division of Coopers and Librand in October of 1980, and then had to separate myself completely from the warehouse business because there was a potential conflict of interest. Uh, Coopers and Librand was the auditor to the company, so I couldn't couldn't wear both hats. Okay. Couldn't have if I wanted to. Now, how did you get that uh, desire to either consult or teach? Where did that come from? You know, I'm really not sure. Uh, the strongest desire was 
I didn't want to reach retirement age, come to the end of a career, and still be in a small business and be trying to figure out how to get out of it. And I had seen my father restless about this, wanting to get away, and I see it so often today of, of business leaders who get into their 60s, uh, 70s, and, and they're trying to hang it up and they can't figure out how to quit or how to get out. And I said, if you are 50 or younger, you can change careers easy, easily. When you're much older than that, people will never believe you can change. You may believe you can, but nobody else will. Okay. When you think back um, to that 50-plus years in distribution, warehousing, and supply chain management, what do you consider your most significant accomplishment as a professional? Well, I think certainly in corporate life it was to take a pretty tiny family-managed business, and by the time I left it, it was a warehousing business that was in eight cities, uh, I think in six different states. We went as far west as Texas, as far south as Georgia, as far east as Maryland. And we had built a professionally managed company. It wasn't a family business anymore. Uh, I would add that when I got into it, it was 100% union, and uh, 10 years later it was 100% union free. That was not an easy thing to do, but we did it. Uh, wouldn't want to go through those experiences again, but we did it. And uh, so we had a vastly different business by the time I left it than it was the one that I went into. Do you think part of that, uh, was your father more conservative as a business person than you? Or Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> no, what? he was less conservative than I was. So why do you think you grew the business uh, so significantly and he did not? I don't think my dad uh, really was driven to do it. Uh, there were a lot of things that happened. Our lawyer suggested to us that we get an outside board. And my dad's reaction was, I'll try that as long as we outnumber them. We've got to have more inside directors than outside directors. The outside board, uh, including folks like Jim Heskett, who you have interviewed, were a great influence on me, uh, pushing me to grow the company, saying, you know, you could build a national company. You've got the right stuff to do it, so why haven't you done it yet? So I tried to do it. And... Uh, uh, when you know we we went into other cities, we even went into other cities uh, two or three times with no customer, on pure speculation, putting up a warehouse saying we will build it and they will come, and by some miracle we got away with that. So you're willing to take risks. Less so now than I was then, <laughs> yes. But but I guess I've always been a reasonable risk taker. Now, you mentioned after that long experience in, in the business of warehousing that you wanted to go into consulting or education. Right. Um, do you have regrets that you didn't make that decision earlier and to perhaps go into education or consulting very early as opposed no. to the business? No, no. I, I think that uh, I've been better at what I did because of what I did earlier. No, no regrets at all. <clears throat> I think... Uh, 
I think that people who go into consulting, I, I'm not going to discuss education because I haven't been there and done that, but I think people who go into consulting right out of school knowing nothing are dangerous. You know, they uh, they know uh, what questions to ask, but they don't know how to answer them. <laughs> so in terms of your profession now, business leader, warehousing, consultant. Yes. Uh, and now we'd also, also include author, lecturer, those kinds of things. Uh, have you achieved most of what you wanted to do? I think so. What you didn't mention is the thing I'm spending more time than anything else is a group leader for Vistage International, which it really involves business counseling and my group members, I have one in the logistics business of the 13 in my group, but the others are in a wide variety of businesses with a wide variety of problems and a 30-year spread from oldest to youngest. Uh, and that's very stimulating and a lot of fun to try to, to help people uh, to lead the group. I've watched the group help each other. And this is a very satisfying thing. And this is my next career. This is what I'm moving more into and, and gradually away from the logistics consulting business. Okay. So I'm not a, announcing that I'm quitting or anything, but I'm just spending less time. At so this. it's a natural evolution for you? Absolutely. Okay. Now, did um, you have a, you mentioned a few people here and there, the, the one teacher, for example, that gave you the love of reading and literature. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Jim Heskett, who yes. influenced you when he was on your board. Are there? Did you have mentors as you were developing, and who were those? Well, since we're sitting on the campus of Ohio State, I'd have to say that the distinguished professor here, by the name of Art Coleman, who I don't know if you knew Art or yes. not, <clears throat> was a huge influence on me. I think he may have introduced me to Jim, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, but but was very. I think everybody that was close to Art was strongly influenced by him because he was just a natural mentor. And I've got to think about some others. Uh, the the fellow who was partner in charge at Coopers and Lybrand when I joined the firm uh, taught me a lot about the consulting business. So that when I went on my own, leaving Cooper's, I felt like I really was prepared to be on my own. And uh, so those are two that I think of quickly as okay. mentors. Now, did those mentors choose you or did you choose them? I don't know that. <laughs> That's hard to say. It just I happened. guess I really should also say that, that Bud Lalonde here at Ohio State has been a great friend and mentor and, and I've often said I can learn more over breakfast with Bud than I'll learn a w the rest of the week. <laughs> because he's, he's always, always on the edge with great ideas. And, and you didn't mention it, but the Harvard Business Review article that uh, we did was jointly done. Bud and I wrote it together, had a lot of fun with it. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done some consulting together, so uh, he's been a great influence as well. Now, do you have, uh, you know, with all these things that you've done, both in the family business, uh, growing it into a uh, uh, multi-region 
distribution mm -hmm. center operation, then going into consulting with Coopers, then on your own. Mm -hmm. um, now involved in writing and lecturing and and your uh, your counseling activities that uh, are becoming more important. What would you say would be maybe your personal mission statement or um, those things, that code of contact that drives you to do all of this? I think that very few people are successful in leadership. And, and I like to think I've learned how to do it. I'm still learning, and I like to think that I've taught others to be better leaders by maybe showing them what they do that's wrong and what they do that's right. And, and so uh, I look upon uh, this counseling activity with Vistage as sort of a laboratory for leadership. Uh, it was fun having a leadership position in a professional society like the group that's now called CSCMP because that's a different kind of leadership. You you have no power over anybody to get them to do anything. Uh, you can only hope you might motivate them to do something. And my first job for what was then called NCPDM was to run an annual conference. And the guys who drafted me to do this said, well, Ackerman, if you fail at this, we'll be out of business. If this conference fails, the council will be broke. And it'll be your fault, but there's no pressure. <laughs> Do whatever you'd like. Yeah, that sounds something that George Jackowitz might have said. It was even pre-Jackowitz, actually. Uh, I, I got that job, I believe, just before George came on board. <clears throat> George was a friend before. He, he, you know, he lived in Columbus before he went to, to join the council. But it... Uh, Leadership in, in volunteer organizations is a different kettle of fish, as you know, and as some people discover late. You, you can't manage volunteers the way you can manage people in, when you sign their paycheck. So there's, it's a tricky thing to do, and it was fun to do. Good. Well, as you looked at all those jobs you've held, what was the ideal job? Oh, gosh, I've had fun with all of them. Uh, it was fun to run a company, but I didn't want to do it forever. Uh, it's been fun to be a consultant, when, particularly unless business gets bad and the phone quits ringing, which does happen in consulting. I, I don't think there's any one ideal job, Jim. I've, I've enjoyed most of them. Is there anything that you uh, have not done that you would have liked to have done? I haven't been an outside board member of a of a business. I've been a board member of nonprofits. I, I have, and and I won't be. Un, highly unlikely that anybody my age gets invited to join an outside board. Uh, in fact, most people there's an age limit for most boards, so I won't be. I wish I had. I wish I had been on some corporate boards. Just didn't happen. Well, that's not. Uh, you've done a lot without having yeah. had that on your resume. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't bring tears to my eyes, but I, I wish <laughs> okay. it had happened. Now, earlier in our interview, uh, 
You were talking about uh, meeting your wife. Yes. Is one of the highlights of Absolutely. Uh, um, tell me about her, how you met, and um, do you have children? If so, yes. how many? What are they doing? And, and so on. Well, uh, we first met because I met her older brother who was uh, providing a home to a Chilean student and this I I squired a group of Chilean young ladies in Washington who were part of the same student group that I had gone to Mexico with and this girl came home and said uh, I met a soldier who wants to take me out to dinner my wife's brother was fairly alarmed he felt <laughs> that he was responsible for this girl and he wondered what kind of soldier she met. <laughs> so I met her brother who decided I was all right, let me take her out to dinner. And then he decided he wanted me to meet his sister. <laughs> so that's how I first met Jean. And then I met her later at a party in Washington and we had a whirlwind romance. So so how long did you date before you got married? Oh, three or four months. So it was a fairly quick... Yeah. Uh, courtship yeah. and yeah yeah and you've been married how long now uh, 53 years so it, whirlwind it courtship but yeah. it's lasted 53 <laughs> plus years stuck. yeah mm -hmm. um, and your children the oldest my son lives in manhattan and is in television uh, special effects and his wife is a uh, writer of children's books so they both make a living in the arts and somehow don't starve uh, my middle one is a professional engineer specializing in water, which is a hot field for engineering, and lives in Virginia and is divorced and has, but has a great business career. My youngest is a clinical psychologist living in Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, her husband is... Uh, I, I don't know what his rank is, but he's on the faculty at Dartmouth. So, two boys and a girl, or two yeah, girls? Two, two girls and a boy. Two yeah, girls the boy, and the boy. My son is the oldest, and then the two girls. Okay. What was your main goal as a parent? Oh, uh, I, I think just survival. <laughs> I wasn't a very good parent, traveling too much, but my, my wife is a very good parent, so she makes up for me. And uh, I just, you know, you all you want is your, for your kids to stay out of trouble and be successful. And uh, they didn't always stay out of trouble, and they, but they've been reasonably happy and successful, which is all you can hope for. I think it was Mark Twain who said, uh, as children grow, you put them in a box okay. uh, with a hole and sort of feed them and give them information periodically. When they become teenagers, you seal up the hole. <laughs> um. Well, it was it Benchley who said uh, all children should be locked in the closet till they're old enough to read Greek. It's a similar idea. <laughs> okay. What ways do you think you influenced your children the most? I'm not sure I influenced them at all. Uh, I One family activity that's been very good for us and, and uh, we do, we can't do it as well, or my wife can't do it at all anymore, was uh, family ski trips. And uh, for many, many years, uh, we spent every Christmas skiing. Uh, 
for about 15 years, we owned a property in Utah, and uh, that was just the you were expected to be there at Christmas, and everybody came, and you know, as we got grandchildren, it got to be a bigger and bigger pile of people, but everybody was out on skis, and it's a great family activity, which. Uh, I still ski with my brother-in-law and my son, and sometimes my son-in-law. So you know, we we still do it, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a great family-building thing. I'm surprised it wasn't horseback riding. That's too expensive. <laughs> I've done a little of that, but to get a whole mob doing it uh, is, is costs even more than skiing. <laughs> uh, okay. If uh, I had your children here. How would they describe you as a parent, do you think? Wow. <laughs> what would they say? I'm really not sure. You'd probably have to ask them. I think uh, they all speak to me. None of them are angry at me today and, and haven't been. Uh, a lot of needling. You know, they're, they're politically very liberal in this election season. There's a huge amount of needling back and forth uh, about... Uh, the merits of various candidates and so forth. Uh, but I think we've all gotten along well together, and uh, and that's a great blessing. So, Ken, relating more uh, to uh, family issues, uh, you mentioned your parents. Um, in what ways do you think your father and your mother influenced you? Well, my mother was uh, very interested in education, uh, she was, uh, at the time of her death, the president of the school board in Lima, Ohio, which I considered to be terribly funny irony because she'd always been an enemy of the public schools in that town. And then uh, all of a sudden she was leading the charge. So I think that she particularly made me appreciate how important education was. Uh my father was very much a risk taker and an entrepreneur, and uh, I think that he showed me some of the possibilities in the business world. Okay. They both were great travelers, and I am too. I, I probably should have mentioned that. I, one thing that we love to do is travel. The only continent we've not been on is Antarctica, so uh, we, we move around a good bit. Uh, I will be in... Uh, Central America this winter, be in Mexico for Christmas. Uh, last winter we were in Peru, and uh, you know we we move around, and enjoy traveling. So Ken, what you need to do is take the cruise okay. that goes below South America, yeah. and then take the, uh, the little boat, the little yeah. shuttle yeah. or helicopter over to Antarctica and visit every continent. I I've thought about that. <laughs> well, that's, like you, I've been on every continent but that one as well, yeah. so that's my uh, plan. Yeah. Just find time yes. to do that. Uh, which of your two parents do you think you're most similar to, your mother or father? Probably my mother. Uh, my father was much more easygoing and relaxed than I have ever been. And I've always said that... Uh, if my son had come into the business, I probably would have killed him, or <laughs> he would have killed me. Uh, my father was, was the kind of person who let me make all kinds of dumb mistakes and never complained about it. So uh, I, I think I'm more like my mother. And, of course, you were 90 miles away. That's true. That helped. So that helped. <laughs> that helped. 
So do you think the manner in which your parents raised you affected the way you developed as a business leader? Of course it did. It does with everybody, I think. Sure. Uh, I, I was raised to be curious, raised to be interested in learning, and raised with the expectation that I would do well. So, you know, high expectations and tried to meet them. Now, you briefly alluded to this in responding to family. Um, do you have brothers or sisters? Uh, none surviving. Uh, my, I lost my sister about nine years ago. She was five and a half years younger. And uh, I think my mother lost two in childbirth. So, uh, But the only I did have one sibling, and no, don't today. So no one in your family other than your father was in your business? That's correct. Is there some reason for that, that everyone chose other professions? Well, you know, my sister had no interest in business. Uh, there wasn't anybody else in the family to do that, so it wasn't even an issue. Uh, however, uh, this was an interesting thing. Uh, as our company grew, uh, Distribution Centers, Inc., my right-hand guy suggested that we have a no-nepotism policy. And I grabbed that. I said, Bill, that is a great idea. And one of the reasons I thought it was a great idea was I was looking around at my management team, and they all had kids. And I thought, this could really be a rat's nest if everybody wants to pull their kids into the business. I wasn't really worried about my kids. Uh, I suspected that my son had no interest in it anyway. And... When I was challenged on that by a friend who said, how can you do that to your children? I said, well, if I ever have a child who wants to be in business, I'm going to hope I'm in a position to be his or her banker. Supply Chain is Boring is part of the Supply Chain Now Network, the voice of supply chain. Interested in sponsoring this show or others to help you get your message out? Send a note to chris at supplychainnow.com. We can also help with world-class supply chain education and certification workshops for you or your team. Thanks for listening. And remember, supply chain is boring.